0: Hi everybody, welcome. Welcome to Schweitzer. Welcome to Worship Today. It is so good to be with you wherever you're at. We're glad you're here. I'm Jim, I serve as a pastor and our host for this experience today. If you're a guest with us, so, so glad you're here. We have a gift for you. Check in with us and we'll send out a Starbucks digital gift card to you right away. Enjoy some brew on us. Today we're really excited to continue our series. It's the seventh week. Of Elijah, just like us, as we explore the life and faith of Elijah. Even though he experiences uh, real lows and real highs, God is faithful. Pastor Spencer has the message for us. So we look forward to that. It's going to be awesome. And if you want to go deeper into the message today, go to sumc.co slash next. We have sermon questions and more. So look forward to that. And now let's hear from Stephanie who's going to tell us more about what's going on here at Schweitzer.
1: Hi, I'm Stephanie. We are in the middle of collecting food for the Flourish Food Pantry at Schweitzer. So be sure and bring your donations and drop them off in the donation bins either in the Fellowship Center or outside the church office by next Sunday. Also, if you're interested in taking a next step in volunteering with Flourish, we'd love to have you on this team. You can find out more by emailing jill at flourishcdc.org or by checking out the sumc.co slash next website. A couple of weeks ago, we launched our new second season ministry designed to help those age 55 and over connect and engage in new ways. Coming up on November 4th at 1130, we'll host our first monthly luncheon for Second Season with our guest speakers from Eden Village. Find out more and sign up at sumc.co slash second season. If you're new to Schweitzer, or even if you just want to get to know more about the church, we invite you to join us for our next All In Gathering on Sunday, November 14th, right after the second service. We'll treat you to lunch, take you on a campus tour, and answer all of your questions. Find out more and let us know you'll be here by going to sumc.co slash next or by stopping by the Connection Center. We are so glad that you're here today. Let's continue with worship.
0: Thanks, Stephanie. If you're worshiping with us live today, we invite you to engage. There's a chat feature on your screen. Say hi to your friends. Give us your insights. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if you'd like to receive prayer, we have a prayer button. There are people ready to pray with you. And now let's uh, let's worship together. Let's celebrate God. Doug is going to lead us today.
2: the waters, walk me through the fire, do what you are famous for, what you are famous for, shut the mouths of lions, bring dry bones to life, and do what you are famous for, what you are famous for, I believe. your love inside of me. Release your power for all to see. Spirit, come. Ask or think, Lord, You will never fail. Your name is powerful. Your word's unstoppable. All things are possible in You. God of exceeding God of abundantly more than we ask or think, Lord, You will never fail. Your name is powerful. Your word's unstoppable All things are possible Only you Make way through the world Walk me through the fire Do what you are famous for you are famous for Shut the mouths of lions Bring Job bones to nothing Do what you are famous for What you are famous I believe found in your grace, your faithfulness, my fortress, over and over.
0: As we come to this time of prayer, it is a, a real gift that God gives us uh, through prayer, to be able to be in relationship with God, to speak with God, to hear from God both through silence and in conversation, both in uh, when we're with others and in our own solitude. And this week we're gonna hear uh, in the scripture about God's faithfulness, trustworthiness, God's promises. And aligned with that, in my journal this week, I also uh, read a scripture that really spoke to me about God's uh, faithfulness and how God is trustworthy. So I wanted to read this uh, for us as we then go into prayer. It's in Deuteronomy, the scripture says, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. And then I also think of Jesus in Matthew at the end of that gospel where Jesus says, and I will always be with you to the end of the age. And so as we go into a time of silence and reflection, Let's just really give thanks to God for God's promises, God being trustworthy, and that God will see us through everything. Let's pray. It is so good to be in prayer together, and, and I know as I reflected, I've I've had the opportunity to think back. I'm a little seasoned now. How God's promises, uh, even when I couldn't see what was occurring, or understood uh, w- what was really going on, when I placed my trust in God, uh, God has been faithful. And so I invite us uh, uh, to pray together. Um, I know you have experiences like that too, and. Uh, Let's, uh, let's pray together to give thanks to God. So Holy God and kind, kind Father, we confess as uh, human beings that uh, we, we try to know everything and we try to work out all the details, and, and you know that and you understand that. You know us better than ourselves. And yet in your grace and your mercy, your sovereignty, in other words, how you rule God with uh, grace, mercy, and love, you see us through your good mystery uh, provides for us you uh, you clear uh, obstacles for us you bring people into our lives you provide in ways that we can't see coming but as we place our trust in you you are so faithful you are uh, well your promises they are good and true and so we thank you, Lord. We love you, we praise you. And now we pray together the prayer you taught us. Uh, we pray with humility and confidence in saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we come to this time of offering, we are really, really grateful to God for who God is. God is generosity. God gives and gives and gives in our lives and into the world. And we thank you for your gifts and tithes and offerings, your generosity that reflects, God's good and beautiful character, and your giving, uh, like mine, helps provide experiences here on this campus and elsewhere where we connect deeper with God and others. And for example, this past weekend, we had a women's retreat in the Branson area, a beautiful venue there where ladies connected in a deeper, richer way. And so we've got several of them here with us today. Let's watch, let's hear from them.
1: And how has the women's retreat experience been for you this weekend? It's been absolutely wonderful. I wasn't sure I wanted to come, but my mom wanted to come and I kind of wanted to come and now I'm leaving going, "Why is this over so soon?" <laughs> it's been a lovely opportunity to fellowship with ladies I'm not acquainted with and to enjoy the singing and the presentations that lead us all back to the Lord. I really was fearful and I didn't know what to expect and I didn't feel like I really belonged, but God kept nudging me and my friend opened the door for a ride and I got here, praise God, it was wonderful. (laughs) After the crazy 19 month window we've had from COVID and for those of us in healthcare, we've kind of all closed off and everybody as a community is closed off. We've been told no so much that we're used to hearing it we've all become kind of linear and, and selfish in our thinking. And I was reminded very clearly this weekend that the kingdom of God is all about community. We are the kingdom. And stop saying no. It's time to say yes. When I arrived, um, almost from the very beginning, I felt like it was a surprise party God had planned just for me. And all these ladies showed up just so God could show me how much He loved me and how much I belonged and that he still has plans for me, even though I'm old and worn out. (laughs) And um, I feel I'm going to quit calling myself shy and start concentrating on the fact that I am beloved, and I'm ready to be a feisty woman that prays audaciously and expects great things from God.
0: Wow, it is so good to hear from you ladies and how God is moving in your lives. And it's also fantastic to hear how God uses our generosity to move us deeper into relationship with God and each other. Thanks again for your generosity. It really, really matters. And now we can continue to give by going to sumc.co slash give. Let's hear from Pastor Spencer now for week seven of Elijah just like us. It's a great series.
3: This is the story of Elijah. Someone just like us. After Ahab died, the Moabites rebelled against Israel. One day, Ahab's son, King Ahaziah, fell through the balcony railing on the rooftop of his house in Samaria and was injured. He sent messengers off to ask Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, Will I ever recover from this accident? Meanwhile, one of God's angels spoke to Elijah, saying, Up on your feet, go out and meet the messengers of King Ahaziah and ask them, why are you going to ask above about the king's healing? Do you believe there is no God in Israel? Tell Ahaziah that he has made his bed, and now he must lie in it. He's as good as dead already." Elijah delivered the message, and the messengers went back to the king. The king said, Why are you back so soon? They told him, A man met us and asked us if we were consulting Baalzebub because we believed there was no God in Israel. He says you're as good as dead." The king said, "'Tell me more about this man who said these things to you. What was he like?' "'Shaggy,' they said, and wearing a leather belt. "'That has to be Elijah.' So Ahaziah dispatched fifty soldiers to confront Elijah on the mountain. The captain said, "'Hello there, oh holy man. "'The king has a message for you. "'He says, come down from there.' "'Elijah said, "'If it's true that I'm a holy man, "'let me prove it to you. "'Let lightning from heaven strike you and your fifty men.' "'And as the words left his mouth, lightning struck, and incinerated the captain and his men. "'King Ahaziah sent another fifty men, "'and they too were incinerated by lightning from heaven.' so he sent a third group of 50 men the captain of this group fell on his knees before elijah and begged him not to incinerate him and his men like he had done to the others the angel of god told elijah follow this man down the mountain and do not fear him and so elijah went with the man to the king elijah said to king ahaziah Because you sent messengers to consult Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, as if there were no god in Israel to whom you could pray, you'll never get out of that bed alive. Ahaziah met his death, just as Elijah had said. Ahaziah did not have a son. So, Jehoram inherited the throne during the second year of the reign of Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah.
4: Well, Welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm so glad that you're here with us today. This is uh, part seven of our series on Elijah. We have been reading through his life and uh, reading just one of the heroes of the Bible. That's why we spent time with Elijah. He is a hero of the Bible. He is brave and bold. He trusts God. So much conviction. You read his story and you're just inspired. And so I wanted to read through um, his story and, and learn from him and be inspired by him. And sometimes when you read the stories of the heroes of the Bible, you forget that these people are are that, they're, they're people, whether it's Elijah or Joshua, Moses, David, Paul, Peter, whoever your heroes of the Bible might be. It's easy to forget that they're just, they're people like us. They had struggles and doubts and temptations. And, and as we read through this, my, my hopes for you is that uh, you would be encouraged to see that God can move through your life just like anyone else's, even people like Elijah's. So today we are in 2 Kings, and if you were observant, you may have noticed that this is a new book. We have transitioned from 1 Kings, where we've been for the last six weeks now, to a new book, 2 Kings, as we move through Elijah's story. This is also part 7 of 8. So we're nearing the end. Elijah, at this point, he is, uh, he is seasoned. He is experienced. He, he, he knows what he's doing. He's been around for a while, and uh, he's been doing this work for some time. And so, And so at the end of this time now, he's he's been doing this so long that he's even outlived the king and queen. He's outlived Ahab and Jezebel, his rivals, uh, the people who have been opposing him from day one. And so now there's a new king, King Ahaziah, the, the king, the son of Ahab and Jezebel. And wouldn't you know it, this new king is just like his dad. As they say, the uh, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Like father, like son. This new king, just like his father, is leading the people to worship the false god Baal. He's leading the people astray, and just like his father, he's going to have so much, uh, so much conflict with Elijah. And if you think about this from Elijah's perspective, how frustrating must this be? It's like years and years of conflict and struggle and sacrifice and years and years of difficulty. And now there's a new guy and he's got to be thinking to himself, oh yeah, this new king, things are going to be better. We turn the page. We're going to have a new future. We got a new chance, this new start. And then the new king is just like the old king. Oh my goodness. It's like you take one step forward and then you immediately take a giant step backwards and you're right where you started, which Honestly, sometimes that's what faithfulness is like. I mean, sometimes to be faithful and to be true to what God calls us to do... Uh, we don't see the results. Sometimes we can live and be true to what God calls us to, but we like, we don't see the, the impact of that. In the New Testament, in the book of uh, Hebrews, there's this chapter, it's chapter 11, that just, it lists uh, person after person after person, hero after hero of faith. So think about the heroes of the, of, of faith. Uh, Moses, Noah, Joshua, Ruth, these people of, of faith, these heroes. And and in the middle of all of these heroes, in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, we read this this, um, this Verse, this is verse 13. It says, All these people, all of these heroes, were still living by faith when they died. Then it says, They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Like, this is faithfulness. Sometimes to be faithful, you you don't see the result of your work. You don't see the result of your faith and your trust. And and, and this is Elijah. I mean, Elijah has been for years now uh, leading the people towards the Lord. And now there's this new king. And again, it just doesn't work out, which is, which is why if you're gonna be faithful, you have to take the long view of your life. When I say the long view, I don't mean like days or weeks or months. I mean, you gotta think about your life in terms of, years or even maybe decades or even maybe generations, that God is doing something in our life, and our work, and our church, and our community that is so much bigger than we can understand and wrap our minds around. It's like the mystery of God is at work in ways that we just don't get. And, and you take the long view, you can start to see that God is at work in so many ways that I don't personally maybe benefit from or see, but, but this is what faithfulness looks like sometimes. You got to take this long view, and this is Elijah, this is Elijah. So I say all of that really to say this, I bet Elijah's frustrated. Oh my goodness, I bet he's so frustrated. And on top of that, he's being so disrespected. I mean, I mean, think about this. This new king comes to power and Elijah's up on this hill minding his own business and And what does the king do? He sends the military out to bring Elijah in to talk to him. I mean, he's being so disrespected. And it's worthwhile reading how the king uh, disrespects him and what these military commanders say to him. So I want to read these to you. It happens three times where Elijah's up on this hill by himself, minding his own business, and the military comes out to get him. And here's what the commander of the first troop of, of, of soldiers says to Elijah. It just simply says this. He says, man of God, The king says, come down. Now, the assumption there, of course, is that the king says, come down. So you need to listen to the king and do what the king does and come down and listen to us. And of course, what happens? Well, fire falls from heaven. So the king sends another troop out to get him, another military force. And this time, this commander is, he's even more brash than the first one. And so the second commander, he says this, um, just reading it directly here, says, man of God, this is what the king says, come down, and he adds two words here, at once. (laughs) <laughs> at once. It gets even harsher at once. You get down here at once. This is like when I tell my kids, hey, if you don't get over here by the count of three, you know, which is just a terrible ultimatum because I don't know what I'm going to do if they don't get over there by the count of three. But this is what you do when you got to flex your, your power a little bit and you got to show how powerful you are and why you should be listened to. You, you kind of make these kind of silly ultimatums that you should get down here at once. And of course, what happens? Well, again, fire falls from heaven and consumes them. And so here comes the third uh, military force, the third troops come out here, the, the military leader. He takes a more humble approach. And so the third approach here, I want to read it again just to read it to you so you see how humble he is. Here's what he says. It says, "'The third captain went up and fell on his knees "'before Elijah. "'Man of God,' he begged, "'please have respect for my life "'and the lives of these 50 men, your servants.'" See, fire has fallen from heaven and consumed the first two captains and all their men, but now respect, uh, respect for my life, have respect for my life. And so you have Elijah coming down the mountain and going with uh, the military force uh, to go see the king. Now, it's interesting when you stop and you look for just a second, you realize that there were three military forces that were sent out to get Elijah, three. And of course, anytime you read the Bible, and you come across something that happens in a cycle of three, you should pay attention. That's like a bit of a wink-wink, nudge-nudge, like something important is happening here. And so it makes me wonder, in this chapter here, with Elijah having this confrontation with Ahaziah, is there there any other uh, cycles of three that you see? And one immediately jumps to mind, because... Three times in this chapter, Elijah asks a very important question. And it's not related to the three times that the military commanders come, but you see it kind of sprinkled throughout the chapter. But three times in this chapter, Elijah asks this question. Is there no God in Israel? Three times. You see it in verse 3, verse 6, and verse 16. Is there no God in Israel? Now, when you point these two things together, put these two things together, the military force coming three times, this question um, about who's in charge, is there no God in Israel? You start to see what this is really about, because this is not about a king who is injured and needs to be made well. This is, this is really about power. It's about authority. It's about who's really in charge, Is it the King of Israel with all of this military might and this power and authority that the state has given to him, or is it the Lord who is in charge with his lone representative sitting up on this mountain all by himself with no obvious might or power. And yet clearly, clearly he's in charge of the situation. Like who's really in charge. This is about power. This is about authority. Now, one of the things that we haven't really said in this series that we probably should have said in like week one, but it's now week seven. So we should say this um, is that when you read through Elijah's story, one of the things that you're constantly drawn towards is that Elijah is a like a mirror in so many ways of Jesus. So when you look at Elijah's story, we call him a forerunner—that he he's somebody who's giving a, a taste, a, a picture of what the what the Messiah is going to be like. And so throughout this series, we haven't really said that explicitly that Elijah is like a forerunner of Jesus. But what we have done in the series is each week we've we've really looked at a different part of Jesus' life and ministry to to see this and compare it because Elijah is just he's this forerunner of of Jesus. So in the Old Testament. Uh, Moses and Elijah are usually the forerunners of Jesus. It's the law and the prophets who are pointing to him, the Messiah, what the Messiah is going to be like, what the Messiah is going to do. And so just like with Elijah, you see these similarities with Jesus. And so we think about this today. So today, as we as we look at 2 Kings chapter, chapter 1, you see this confrontation between Elijah and the king of Israel that's really about power and authority and who's really in charge. It's this question of, of who's really running the show behind the scenes. And, and, and just like Elijah, so much of Jesus' ministry revolves around these questions of power and authority. Sovereignty is sometimes the word we use. Who's really in charge? And, and, and so, so much of Jesus' ministry revolves around the very things that Elijah is confronting here in 2 Kings chapter 1. I mean, one of the clearest ways you could see this is with the crucifixion. So it would, be, it would be tempting to read about Jesus' death on the cross and to think that Jesus died on the cross because he you know, made a mistake and he, he irritated the wrong people in authority and power. And so because the powerful Roman Empire uh, was, was over him, that because of this, Jesus is a victim of this oppressive state. And it's easy to read this. In fact, some people will write about how Jesus died because he was a victim of the oppressive uh, state of the Roman Empire. But but that's not really how Jesus talked. It's not how Jesus lived. I mean, I think about some of the things that Jesus said and how he lived in his own life. Um, In John chapter 10, for instance, when Jesus is talking to his disciples about how he is the, the good shepherd, he talks about how the good shepherd will fight for his sheep and lay down his life for his sheep. One of the ways that Jesus describes his own death is he says this in John chapter 10, verse 18. He says, no one takes it from me. It here is his life. No one takes my life from me but I lay it down on my own accord. I have, listen to these words here, oh my goodness. He says, I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. And this command I received my father. Jesus is like, hey, 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 I am in charge here. I know what I'm doing. And it's my father's plan that I would go to the cross. I'm not a victim of anything that's happening here. I am in charge of these circumstances. I know what's happening here. And of course, this is not the only place Jesus talked like this. Uh, Matthew 16, a chapter we read last week, Uh, Jesus talks about his death right after uh, Peter uh, gives this confession of, of faith that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And right after that, Jesus talks about his death and Jesus says this in Matthew 16. He says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And so Jesus knew what he was doing. His his life was leading this way because he's here to redeem and save the lost. Or in, in other gospels, especially in, Ch- in the gospel of Luke, there's this, Kind of phrase that's peppered in throughout. You might miss it if you just read it through, but but it's really peppered throughout the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus just talks about how he is going to Jerusalem. He's set on Jerusalem. And so a couple examples. You see this in Luke 9. Just says Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Or Luke 13 says Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. And there's a ton of passages just like that that Jesus is on his way because he knows what he's doing. He's he's not a he's not a victim here. He is fully in charge, living within his authority as the Son of God, to live into God's will. And so just how Elijah is a forerunner of Jesus, we, we see this struggle between Elijah and the king, which is really all about who's has the power, who has the authority, who's really in charge. And just like with Elijah, we see the same thing with Jesus. That that Jesus is not a victim of someone else's power or authority, that Jesus himself is the power and the authority, that Jesus is in charge of his life. It's the same questions we see Elijah wrestling with and leading us towards, that that Jesus is also living into. Elijah is this forerunner of Jesus and that he is pointing us to this truth that the Lord God Almighty, that he is sovereign over all the earth that he is in charge over all circumstances, that he is the one who reigns supreme and eternal, that he is the King of kings. And this is what we see in Elijah. It's what we see in the ministry of Jesus pointing us to this truth that it's not the King of Israel. It's not the Roman Empire. It's not any other power that you might look to. It is the Lord God Almighty who is supreme, eternal, And so while Elijah had to confront the king of Israel, Jesus had to confront the Roman Empire, both are leading us to the truth that the Lord is sovereign over all the earth, even when it doesn't look like it. And so just like Elijah had to confront the king of Israel, we learn that Jesus, he does not play second to anybody. He is the authority. He is the king. He is the one who's in charge over all the earth. This is how the early Christians talked about Jesus, that he is sovereign over all the earth. And so the early Christians, they didn't really say it necessarily like that. They had this creed that they said, the early Christians, the earliest first century of Christ, first generation of Christians, they talked about how Jesus, the way they said it was just simply this, that Jesus is Lord. And what they meant by that is that Jesus is Lord over everything, that all the power and authority and, and, and uh, sovereignty, it all relies on Him, that He is Lord of everything. Now, a lot of times as modern Christians and we talk about how Jesus is Lord, we we take that confession that the early Christians made to be huge. We, we take it and sometimes we make it small. And we make it about us. And it's true that if you're going to follow Jesus, Jesus is going to be Lord of your life. Like Jesus is Lord of my life. I mean, certainly I'm living my life to conform to Jesus's will and his wants, his desires for me. And Everything that makes me, me, I'm submitting to him and living for him, whether it's my relationships or my time or my ambitions, my goals, my resources, my, uh, my mind, my emotions, my worldview, my politics, whatever it might be, my body, everything submits to him. That's what it means to be Lord, but that's just kind of what it means for him to be Lord. That's like a small view of what it means to be Lord. The way the early Christians talked about it, it was this huge, expansive view of what Jesus, how he is Lord, that he is Lord of absolutely everything, including me, but so much more than me. Listen to how the early Christians talked about Jesus in uh, Colossians chapter one, one of the clearest examples of how they viewed how Jesus is Lord. Colossians one, this famous verse goes like this. It says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. So Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And listen to these categories here of what Jesus created. It goes on and says whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Catch that. We read, Thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all of these things that most people would look at in the world and say, this is what's in charge. The early Christians were like, no, 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 no. Jesus is in charge. It's all his. These all, all of these things exist for him. Whether things are, are visible like worldly governments or in corporations or whether, whether they're invisible like spiritual powers, they're all belonging to Jesus. Like this is the vision that the early Christians had that it all belongs to him. We keep reading here, verse 17. It says, he is before all things. Before, another way of saying that is he, he comes first. He has first place before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Now, what's interesting about this verse in the original Greek is that this, uh, this word that we've translated as all, what it literally means in the Greek is it means um, all, <laughs> like everything. Not just some things, or a few things, or the spiritual things, or the things that I can understand. No, no, no. All things belong to Him. Like this is the vision that the early Christians had of who Jesus is. We keep reading here. It says, He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him in Christ, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The the vision that the early Christians had of Jesus is that he is the Lord of everything, not just some things, not just the spiritual, the religious things, not just my life, but everything. He is Lord of, of everything. And what a compelling vision. I mean, this is a compelling message. I read this and I, I just, I can't help but be stirred by this because it's such a big, expansive view of Jesus. It's so incredibly compelling. And it's even more compelling when you, when you stop and consider what the first generation of Christians would have thought when, when when they read this. Because as you think about the very first generation of Christians, I mean, these are people who lived in these Roman cities, under Roman rule, oppressive Roman rule. And these are people who who would have gathered together, not in beautiful church buildings like we have, but they would have gathered in small homes, and maybe just a, a dozen or two might might live in these in these uh, communities and these Christian churches would have only been a, a dozen or so people meeting together in these homes amongst Big cities in the Roman Empire that that persecuted them and looked down on them and didn't give them all the same opportunities. sometimes the persecution was violent, sometimes it was financial and they and they persecuted them and yet, in the midst of all of that, this tiny minority of people, they came together with this conclusion that because Jesus is alive, that he is Lord of everything that he is Lord of absolutely everything even even when it doesn't look like it, he's still Lord of everything. In fact, this these verses I just read here in Colossians, while Paul wrote Colossians, it's believed that these verses right here were were probably a, a part of a very early hymn. Like, like Paul is borrowing this, quoting a, a very early worship song that the Christians would have sat around and sung about how Jesus is Lord of absolutely everything. This was their vision. This is their confession that he is Lord of absolutely everything. Not not some things, not just spiritual things, not just my life, but everything. This is their, their vision, their expansive view of who Jesus is. And of course, as I, as I consider this, I, I can't help but wonder, like, how, did they, how did they get there? How did they come to believe this? Because the circumstances around them would not have encouraged this. I mean, they were not enjoying all kinds of success and ease. Like, it's one thing to say that Jesus is Lord of everything. If my life is perfect and I've got no trials or troubles and everything just keeps going right, right every time I, you know, I open my eyes, but this is not how the early Christians lived. They had all kinds of opposition, all kinds of trouble, all kinds of trial, and yet they still were able to say this. And So I'm like, how did they, how did they come to this conclusion? And the only, the only answer I could come to is just very simply this. Well, they must have taken the long view. The long view that sees that while Jesus is, is risen, that He is alive, that He will also return, that He will come and He will fix all of the injustices and all of the things that are wrong both in my life and in my family's life and in, the, in our community, in our world, that He makes all of these things new, that there will be a heaven and an earth that's renewed and made, made fresh, that, that He will come as the King and He will reign over everything. Like they had to have come to this conclusion because they took this long view that, while I don't see it right now, and the circumstances around me right now may not be encouraging in the big picture, I have to see that Jesus wins. I have to see that he is actually sovereign over all the earth, that he is the one who reigns eternal, that he has all authority, that he is in charge. And yes, there are all kinds of problems around us, but in the end, he wins. And think about the difference this makes. Like you're one of these first Christians, think about how much hope that gives you. We're think about this difference that makes now is, as, you, as you live your life and you're faced with all kinds of things that, that are clearly not aligned with God's will. Relationship conflicts, addictions. We've got injustice around us. We've got, we've got divisions in our families and our relationships and ourselves. We've got things that fall short of what God wants. And think about the hope that this gives us when we come back to not a small view of Jesus being in charge, but this expansive view that he is Lord of everything. He's Lord of my life. He's Lord of your life. He's Lord of everything. And because He is the Lord of everything, I can come and put my trust fully and thoroughly in Him. Jesus is Lord. And centuries before Jesus came and died and rose again, there was this prophet in ancient Israel sitting out on a hill. And he was reminding us that the one who is actually in charge the one who actually has the authority, the one who actually has the power, is not this evil king, but it is the Lord of Lords. It is the Lord God Almighty that we serve and that He is the one who's really in charge. And so today we can come with all of our brokenness, with the brokenness around us, and we can put our faith in Him because He is Lord. Let's pray together. And so Father, today we are encouraged by this uh, vision, this message, this this truth of, of the gospel that you are Lord of all. And that while there's certainly circumstances around us that may not look like things are going towards your will and your direction, but Lord, we take this long view and we know that you are at work in ways that we cannot understand. For some of us, we need to be reminded of this truth because there are very specific things in our life that are broken and hurting inside of us. Sickness, grief, loneliness, there are relationships that are falling apart and we just keep thinking to ourselves, Lord, where are you? And so God, today we want to claim your authority, claim your lordship, even over these kinds of things that we know that you are Lord and in the long view, we can put our trust and our hope in you. Maybe we don't see those results immediately, but we want to reaffirm our faith that you our Lord of all. And so, God, today we come to you, we trust you, we love you. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.
0: Thanks, everybody, for a really good day of worship. A special thanks to Stephanie for keeping us connected, Doug for leading us in worship, Spencer for the message. And if you know anybody who could use some encouragement today, share the message on social media. We appreciate you doing that. And we're going to see you back here next week. Be here for the week eight. It's the uh, conclusion of the series. Week eight of Elijah Just Like Us. Thanks again for being here. See you next week.